Welcome to the Chi Alpha UNC podcast. We're excited that you've decided to stop by. Today, we continue our series called God, Man, Lamb, King. Jesus is God, Jesus is man, Jesus is the Lamb, and Jesus is King. Today, Peter continues our series by telling us that Jesus is our Passover Lamb. This message was recorded on September 14th, 2023 at Gunter Hall, room 1720. Please join us every Thursday at 7 p.m. at the UNC campus. All are welcome. Come as you are, leave as a new creation. Okay, so before we get into the Word of God tonight, you guys bring your Bibles? Brought some Bibles. Okay. You went, yeah, I brought my Bible. I got a Bible app. Come on. I'm going to pull that out, right? So before we get into the word tonight, um, we, uh, as you know, Chi Alpha, we are made up of students, not from just two different campuses, not only just people who, you know, you went straight into the workforce. Come on. Where are my worky works in the house? Come on. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. So, uh, we're not only made up from people from, from, from all those walks of life, but we're also made up of people from different churches. And, and uh, you know, Chi Alpha is not a replacement for your church. We are a campus ministry, and, and we go to some amazing churches in town, really amazing churches. And so throughout the semester, from time to time, we're going we're gonna to have uh, some friends who will come up and, and talk about the church that they pastor. Isn't that awesome? Now, we don't just recommend any church. Unfortunately, that's the day we live in, right? Uh, you know, just because it says church on the building doesn't mean that, you know, who knows what you're going to get into, right? But the people that we invite up are people that we love, that we trust, and, and these are amazing places to go to church. And so throughout the semester, we're going to have pastors just talking about their churches. And so if you don't have a home church, we would love to invite you to the churches. So um, I want to, the, for the first time this semester, I want to invite some incredible pastor friends of mine. Would you guys welcome up uh, Nick and Kelly Cedars? Yeah. And uh, as, they're, as they're coming up, I just want to say, like, uh, a lot of us go to this church. I, I'm, I, this is no surprise. These guys are incredible. We, we, man, we have the keys and the alarm coats. <laughs> and uh, sometimes we leave it a mess, you know what I mean? But uh, uh, throughout the year, we're going to do a lot of events at Greeley First Assembly. So uh, would you all give it up one more time for Nick and Kelly? Thank you. Well, uh, thank you guys for having us here tonight. This is my wife, Kelly. I am Nick, and uh, we are the pastors of Greeley First Assembly. Maybe more importantly, and our real claim to fame, sorry, I'm just trying to not trip here, um, is I am George's brother. So if you know George, um, and I know half of you are like, oh, yeah, we knew that. The other half are like, what? (laughs) It's the, yeah, our dad was black, our mom was white, and uh, that's not... That's not how that worked. You can ask us about that later. But uh, yes, George is our worship pastor at Greeley First Assembly, so we're super blessed to have him and Susanna there uh, and worshiping with them. But a little bit about our church. We are uh, just a diverse group of people that like to get around the word and uh, see what God has for us and pursue him together. Uh, so we got people from all walks of life. You know, we got people from a background of drugs and alcohol, people who grew up squeaky clean and are getting their buttons pushed in church every Sunday and everything in between. Uh, and it's a lot, a lot of fun. Uh, if you have a home church, 
keep going to your home church. Like, just get involved in a church. It's so important uh, to be involved in community, as you guys already know. So if you go to a great church already, I don't want to steal you from your church. If your friend wants you to come with them to their church, go with them to their church. Give it a try. But if you don't have somewhere to go, if you don't have a place to belong, it's super valuable to be in a church on Sunday mornings. Uh, Did you want to add anything? Kelly is definitely the better half of this relationship. So let me just give her the microphone and let her share for a minute. Ooh, hey guys. Um, I just want to see a show of hands. If you attend Greeley First regularly, can you just raise your hand? Woohoo! It's so good to see you guys and to be here um, in person. We love Chi Alpha. We love your leaders. We love your small group leaders that we know. Um, and we just really believe God has big things in store for Chi Alpha this fall. Um, but again, that being said, if you are not attending a church anywhere regularly, I hate to break it to you, but college is really just a short season into adulthood. And I was thinking tonight... Unless you can't complete your degree, then it takes a while. It's true. But <laughs> I was thinking tonight, like, wow, we're the old people here. And I feel like we were just in your shoes not too long ago. Um, but for just that longevity and growing with believers, growing with one another, obviously come to Kayafa, come Thursday nights, get plugged into a small group. But Sunday mornings, don't hit snooze. I mean, our service doesn't start till. 10 a.m. So I know you guys have to be somewhat awake by then. Uh, we have Chi Alpha Cafe on site. Um, woo! It just got a fresh coat of paint. Um, but I just wanted to kind of say, you know, coming up at Greeley First, we've been here about four years. We've been lead pastors for two and a half years. Before that, we were in the mission field in Barcelona. Um, and this season that we're in, we've just been talking, you know, it's like for us personally, it's super busy. But we feel like this season in particular, the Lord's kind of like just telling us to go and do these things that we've kind of had on our hearts for a long time. So it's just a really exciting season for us personally in ministry. The Lord's doing awesome things at Greeley First. We're getting ready to launch a service translation into French and Spanish on Sundays. Um, yeah, that's kind of like a new thing that we just kind of leaked last Sunday. Over the past couple of weeks, we've had people on stage praying in Spanish and English. And our heart really is for Greeley what did I say? Spanish, English, and French. <laughs> really <good at laughs> really <laughs> English. But our hearts for Greeley um, and just for what it, rep- like the, the culture that is represented here in Greeley. And yeah, so we're excited. Excited Chi Alpha is part of it. And really any church that they recommend, you can't go wrong with. So just make sure you're in a church and you're part of Chi Alpha. That's all we ask. So yeah. Can we pray for you guys? All right. We would love to pray for Chi Alpha and for your year ahead. So, Lord Jesus, we just put this whole group and everyone who's not able to be here tonight in your hands. God, we pray that you would just bless them abundantly this year, that they would grow in your riches, in your favor, and in your Christ-likeness. God, I pray that the friendships that are being developed here uh, would continue to just uh, grow and, and lead to such mutual benefit and strength that they'd be able to point back for 10, 20, 30 years and say, I was different because I was so-and-so's friend and I was part of this group, and I I made you, Lord Jesus, a priority in my life. So, God, we just thank you for this group. We love this group, and we ask for your will to be done here, all in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, y'all give it up one more time. Yeah. Amazing. By the way, by the way, I just want to say, I thought it was hilarious that they said, man, we're like the old people in the room. Yeah, right. You, give me a break. <laughs> and hey, Mark, nice touch uh, turning on that uh, little sound while we were praying. I think we should. Uh, I think we should do that more often. That was kind of cool, right? Yeah. Hey, listen, are you guys excited to get into the Word of God tonight? Yeah. Yeah. As you know, we've been in an incredible series. You guys remember the series, right? God, Man, Lamb, King, right? 
Tonight you're going to hear from probably my best friend in the world. Seriously. This guy, this guy, this guy was my uh, small group guy way back uh, in our Colorado State days. Yeah, in Fort Collins. And uh, joined staff, man. And he's like, he's like the dude, man. He is the dude. So uh, while he begins to make his way up here, <laughs> would you guys give it up for Peter Kluth? Come on. Man, that was, uh, that was quite the intro, Duncan. This thing is unwieldy and quite large. Just a second. Well, how's everyone doing? You guys good? Yeah. How was your week? Give me a, give me a thumb. How's your week? Yeah, yeah. All right, all right. Little little bit of little bit of everything in here. I didn't see any thumbs downs though. Did I did I see a thumbs down? Is there? Oh shoot, there is a thumbs down right there. Man, we need to pray for you. Well, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of nice being inside. I'm I'm kind of glad. Uh, the, the last one is always like cold for some reason. The last one of the year is always cold outside. So yeah, like Duncan said, we are in a series called God, Man, Lamb, King. Um, I really wanted it to be uh, God, Man, King, Lamb because I feel like it flowed a little better off the tongue, but um, it made more sense this way. So, so here we are. Um, when we think about Jesus, these are like four of the biggest attributes of Jesus. God, man, lamb, and king. And uh, the first two sermons were, were pretty good. I'd have to say, I'd have to say they were pretty good. They were uh, spot on. And uh, if, you, if you missed them, you should go back and give them a listen because there was some really good insight in there. Um, tonight, we are discussing lamb, what it means that Jesus is a lamb, um, or the lamb, as, as you might say. Uh, the first time that we see Jesus called the Lamb of God is actually in John 1, verse 29. Uh, John the Baptist is like baptizing people, telling them to repent for the kingdom of God is coming soon. Um, and then this happens. Verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John calls Jesus the Lamb of God. The first person to call him that. And it's, it's interesting, um, he is not directly called that at any other time except in Revelation. And in Revelation, man, I was, I was uh, tempted to put some of these, some of these uh, verses in Revelation about Jesus being the lamb, the slain lamb. And um, they're powerful, but they're really long. And uh, it would have taken me a long time to properly exegete them. So um, we'll leave those for another night. But tonight we are going to be digging into what does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus is the Lamb of God. But first, uh, just a little bit about me, because if, you know, I, th I think there's a lot of new people who are here who maybe don't know me. Uh, my name is Peter, and I am uh, here tonight to declare that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has saved me, he has set me free, and has given me a new life. I grew up going to church. Um, I grew up believing that Jesus is God and that he has saved me. I was, uh, a, I was kind of a goody two-shoes. My parents always called me a rule follower. Um, 
I used to bug the crap out of my dad. I was like six or seven years old, and I learned what the speed limit was, and that my dad never went the speed limit. And so every time he was speeding, I would be like, Dad, slow down, you're speeding. <laughs> so much so that he dimmed like the, the dash lights so that I couldn't see how fast he was going. And he was, both my parents were cops, both of them. Here's the thing though, here's the thing though. Cops speed more than anyone else I know. More than anyone else I know. Kind of funny. I always liked following the rules, but um, some of that changed as I entered uh, high school. I, I decided that um, the rules I would be following were kind of ones that I made up. <laughs> I, I decided as I entered high school that um, there were some rules that I had learned as a kid that I didn't like and I would prefer to make my own set of rules. And I still had them. There was still boundaries and lines I wouldn't cross, but, but they weren't the rules that God had set out for me. Um, I still followed all the rules at school. I, again, I was, I was <laughs> kind of a goody two-shoes, and, uh, and of course I followed the, the law at all times. Um, but most of the time I made up my own rules uh, when it came to anything that fell outside of those boundaries. I went to a Christian high school, still proclaimed Jesus, but in many ways was giving my heart to things other than God. God became a thing that I did on Sundays, and then, uh, you know, every Thursday I think we had chapel, and so I, uh, I, did, I did the Jesus thing then too. Um, I made many mistakes throughout high school and even into college, and I'm still making mistakes today, <laughs> but um, I, was, I was really in high school, I was really living in rebellion to God. For my whole, uh, for one, one of the one of the one of the big things uh, was that my whole life revolved around relationships. That was what I worshipped. It was, uh, you know, every if I was upset about something, it wasn't a grade. <laughs> I didn't really care about those. I did decently, but I I just didn't care. Uh, it wasn't like even a friend. It was most of the time some relationship that was going sour. My whole life revolved around relationships, and, and mo more than anything, what I could get from them. I was obsessive. It's all I thought about. My senior year of high school, um, a girl, I actually, huh, uh, a girl broke, I broke up with a girl because she cheated on me. <laughs> and uh, and I, I hit a, <laughs> who was that, by the way? Nice. 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 Um, I, I kind of hit a low point, and I decided that this obsessiveness over relationships was, I was done with that, but I, I, I didn't go back to the Lord. I actually went even further, <laughs> and I just ditched, like, the long-term dating thing in total, and um, I was actively living in rebellion to God, actively choosing to pursue relationships over God. When I got to college, I ran into Kyofa. Um, my, my one of the first days on campus, I met this uh, tall, kind of gangly guy named Sterling. And uh, he was like, hey, do you want to be in my small group? And I was like, what is a small group? I, have I've, I grew up in church my entire life. I had never heard of a small group. That was weird to me now. Looking back, that was weird. But um, for the first time, I was actually discipled. Someone sat down with me and went, and went hey, man. 
some of this stuff you're doing is not okay. Like, the way that you treat women is not okay. And, and I, that hurt. That, like, actually hurt when he, he said that. But, but I needed to hear that in order to change. Because I wouldn't have if nobody had told me that it was wrong. I, 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 I secretly knew it was wrong in the back of my head. But I had pushed it so far back there that, um, that it wasn't coming out. <laughs> I was called out for my crap. And, um, I, but I needed that in order to repent and turn back towards God. There was a lot more than just this. Like, like saying this, you know, now feels small. There was a lot of stuff I was doing. <laughs> this is a uh, little microcosm of that. But it's what I needed. I finally got right with the Lord in Kyle and became acutely aware of just how far I had wandered from God. And it took the entirety of my freshman year to, like, work this out. What, you know when you hear that, that, that verse that's, uh, um, I can't think of the exact reference right now, but it's uh, work out your, your faith with fear and trembling. That's, I was doing that my freshman year where I was just, like, battling with the Lord over everything. And, um, and he won. <laughs> Praise the Lord, he won. I finally realized that God was inviting me back into relationship with him for the thousandth time. He had been calling out to me all this time, but I had put him on mute. I had rejected him over and over, but he, he again reached back out and said he would forgive me. He would forgive me for the way I had treated him and, and all the bad things I had done. Of course, there were still consequences that I had to live with, and, and some of those consequences I'm living with today. But the Lord was faithful to me, even though I was unfaithful to him. Through the death of Jesus, my sins had been wiped away. And through his resurrection, I had been raised to new life and set free. And that is what this is all about. Jesus is, as John says, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Mine, yours, anyone who will put their trust in Jesus, who will repent of their old ways and who will change their mind and choose Jesus' way over their own. But that still leaves the question, what does it mean that Jesus is the lamb who takes away the sin of the world? What, is it, what does it mean that uh, I get to be forgiven because in some way Jesus is a lamb? <laughs> if you grew up in church, maybe that doesn't sound too weird. But if you didn't, I'm sure this sounds kind of nuts that Jesus is a lamb. Like, what does that even mean? It sounds kind of weird to our modern ears to call Jesus God and also a lamb. Um, but uh, if you actually look back at a lot of old pantheons of gods, many of them uh, were also associated to and with a, an animal. Um, something, so one we're going to talk about later tonight was actually a lamb, interestingly enough. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus is a literal lamb or that we should, like, depict him with a lamb head. That's not where I'm going. Um, but I am saying that it wasn't weird in ancient cultures to associate like an animal with a god. In digging into this, there's a few questions that came to mind, a few questions that I want you guys to think about um, before we dive in. When John said this, what did his audience think he meant? What did his audience think he meant? What was John referencing? And how does this apply to Jesus? He says Jesus will take away the sins of the world, 
Um, but what is, beyond that, what is, what is John implying about Jesus? And to figure this out, you don't actually immediately have to go to the Old Testament. Um, Paul, in 1 Corinthians, gives us insight into what this means, that Jesus is the Lamb of God. So, 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, Clean out the old leaven, so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as indeed you are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Paul, in this section of scripture, is uh, using Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread to tell the Corinthian church that they need to, like, clean up their lives. Leaven in the Old Testament is often associated with sinfulness and idolatry. And so Paul is saying, clean, clean up all that idolatry and sinfulness and um, so that you can be made new. Get rid of the sinful, evil practices that you're engaging in. And then he comes right out and says that Jesus is our Passover lamb and that his death is like the death of the Passover lamb. And just a quick side point, this right here is why you cannot fully understand the New Testament without the context of the Old Testament. That's not to say that you can't understand the gospel without the Old Testament, but it is to say that if you want to fully understand the Bible, <laughs> the New Testament, what Jesus was doing, you have to read the old. We can't, like, there are some pastors that are, that are out there saying we need to, like, unhitch from the Old Testament, and that's just wrong. <laughs> it's just wrong. The Old Testament is this beautiful picture of how God, the same God as in the New Testament, um, is, 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 has worked for for eons, in, in faithfulness, even though his people were unfaithful. God will not give up on the human race, and that is a beautiful thing. Okay, so back to this. In some, in some way, Jesus is our Passover lamb, but what does that actually mean? How many of you are familiar with Passover, what it is? A couple of you, few, few of you in here. That's good, that's good. Ha, has anyone in here per, uh, participated in like a Passover Seder? A few less. It's, it's, you should try it. It's good. I like it. We started doing them with my family every year, and uh, seriously, high quality. Um, okay, last question, last question. How many of you have seen The Prince of Egypt, the film? The, yeah, come on. Classic. Such a good film. Such a good film. Great. I mean, seriously great. So if Jesus is our Passover lamb and his death is like that of, the pas of Passover, then to really understand in what ways Jesus is the Lamb of God, we need to go backwards in time and flip back to near the beginning of our Bibles. Something you have to understand is that Passover is the most important holiday to first century Jews. It is what gave them national identity. In some ways, it's like uh, the 4th of July had a baby with Christmas. Okay? <laughs> like, except, except imagine that 4th of July, it wasn't just like, barbecue and firework day, and Christmas wasn't just like give gifts and open them day, but like the, the, uh, the, tr the traditional meanings of each of those. Today, those, those have lost a lot of their actual, uh, you know, meaning, but um, yeah, it was, 4th of July is really just a national holiday, but, but Passover was a religious holiday as well. It was like the melding of both. It was who the people of God were, who Israel was. So this is the most important holiday to Israel. It's actually when they start their new year. It's also like New Year's. It's kind of interesting. 
It's a big one. It's a huge deal. And John is saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of that. That's a huge deal. So real quick, let's summarize Passover. So Israel is enslaved in Egypt. If you don't know why, that is, just read all of Genesis and you'll figure it out. Israel is enslaved in Egypt, and God hears the cries of his people. He speaks to Moses in the burning bush and sends a very reluctant Moses to Pharaoh um, with, actually, interestingly, the original intention was just to get Israel out into the wilderness to worship God. That was, it, that, like, <laughs> when he told Moses, it wasn't, I want to send you to a promised land. It was, I, wanna, I want you to bring them out to worship God. Well, Pharaoh, uh, for obvious, reason, d- obvious reasons, doesn't love the idea of uh, letting his free slave labor, um, you know, just go have a good time in the wilderness and potentially never see them again. And so uh, he says no. <laughs> and so ensues nine plagues. God sends nine plagues. For the first uh, four or five, um, Pharaoh hardens his heart and he says no. For the last five, uh, God actually hardens Pharaoh's heart. He says, you know what? If you're not gonna, if you're not gonna submit to me, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna make it hard for you. <laughs> kind of an interesting theological point there. Then finally, you get to the last plague, and Moses goes and once again says, let my people go. Pharaoh every time says no. And finally, yeah, like I said, we get to the last plague, and that's where we're going to pick up the story. Exodus 11, verse 4. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says. About midnight I will go throughout Egypt, and every firstborn male in the land of Egypt will die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the firstborn of the servant girl who is at the grindstones, as well as every firstborn of the livestock. Then there will be a great cry of anguish throughout the land of Egypt, such as never was before or ever will be again. But against all the Israelites, whether people or animals, not even a dog will snarl so that you will know that the Lord makes distinction between Egypt and Israel. We're going to jump down to chapter 12, verse 5, where God actually tells Israel what to do. He says, you must have an unblemished animal, a year-old male. You may take it from either the sheep or the goats. You are to keep it until the 14th day of the month, Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. They must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house where uh, where they eat them. They are to eat the meat that night. They should eat it roasted over the fire along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or cooked in boiling water, but only roasted over fire. Its head as well as its legs and inner organs. You must not leave any of it until morning and... uh, uh, any part of it until morning you left must be bor- burned. Wow. All right. Here is how you must eat it. You must be dressed for travel. Your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. You are to eat in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am the Lord. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you will stay will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Okay, so God commanded them to get a one-year-old, uh, 
uh, animal. It could be a sheep or a goat without blemish. And they were to keep it with them for a week. And then it would get examined to confirm that it was without spot or blemish. And on the 14th day of the month of the Jewish, uh, of the, the first month of the Jewish year, they would slaughter the lamb for Passover. They would slaughter it at the threshold of their house. And uh, they would like catch some of the blood and wipe it on the doorposts with a tree branch. Then they would take the lamb and roast it over a fire uh, without breaking any of its bones. Interestingly, the spit was actually kind of shaped like a cross because it would like, you know, splay the animal's legs out. Um, Then they would eat the entire thing. None of it could remain until morning. Uh, The first plague or the final plague on Egypt as, sorry, wow, I can't, I can't read apparently. Uh, The final plague on Egypt was actually also on the Israelites. If you read about the other plagues, God spared the Israelites in all of them. They didn't have to do anything. They just were not affected by it. Like, the, the one that blows my mind is like darkness. Somehow, God afflicted the Egyptians with darkness, but not the Israelites. I don't know how that works. Pretty cool, though. Maybe it was like a, I don't know. <laughs> But the last plague was a, was a plague against all in Egypt, Israelites included. The angel of death went through the land, killing every firstborn son, unless they had sacrificed a lamb and, and wiped the blood on the doorposts. It is only by the blood of the lamb that the angel of death passed over the Israelites. The blood of the lamb was a sacrifice for the sins of the Israelites. They had acquiesced. They had accepted Egyptian gods. And actually, they had started worshiping them. Moses, later on in the story, has to tell them to throw away their old gods. Like, I feel like that'd be obvious. Apparently not. But uh, they, they, like, took their old, their old gods with them. <laughs> Little statues of, you know, various Egyptian gods. That blows my mind. Israel was far from a clean people, but the blood of the lamb was enough, if not temporarily, to save them from the wrath of God that night. God had purchased the Israelites. He had redeemed them on this night. He had accepted the death of the lamb instead of the death of the firstborn. God now, in a sense, owned the Israelites. They actually had to, uh, from, from generations on, every generation after, was supposed to redeem their firstborn son by killing another animal because the firstborn was the Lord's because of what he did here. Do you see some connections with Jesus here? More on that in a second. And can I just say, if it, like, hurts your heart that they had to kill an animal, that's good. That's a good thing. That's the point. Your sins are so egregious, or the sins of these people were so egregious that a lamb would have to die so that they didn't. And so we come back to Jesus. Just as the blood 
of the Lamb of Passover saved the Jewish people from the wrath of God on the night of the first Passover, so Jesus' blood saves us from God's wrath. His spirit similarly passes over us. So Jesus' blood is like the blood of the Lamb of Passover in that it saves us from the wrath of God. Some are offended by this. Um, I can see why. It's like, uh, you know, you, you get a letter in the mail, and uh, it says, hey, you've been convicted of this crime that you didn't know you did, um, or maybe you knew, but you didn't know anyone caught you, and uh, <laughs> you've been convicted of this crime, um, but the judge has decided to, uh, to let it go, right? You might be kind of offended, like, oh, I, I didn't commit this crime, you know, if you, if you didn't actually think you did. Innate in this statement is that you have sinned against God. And your sins were so egregious that Jesus, the perfect son of God, had to die in your place. Another thing is that a lot of people get kind of bent out of shape over the wrath of God. They're like, why, you know, why would a loving God be wrathful? And um, to that, I would, I would just make this quick point that any good father would be angry at his son for doing something horrible, yeah. right? If he's not angry at his son for doing something horrible, either to, to the father or to someone else, that's a bad father, <laughs> right? And this is God we're talking about, not a human father. The wrath of God is a good thing, and it would mean he isn't loving if he weren't wrathful. We'll come back to that later. The second thing about Passover is that Passover is God's judgment of the Egyptian gods. In verse 12, he says, I am the Lord. I think I, I have it highlighted on the next slide. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. This is like a really interesting statement. That these plagues were not just on the Egyptians, but on the gods the Egyptians worshipped. Now, there is a, a lot of theology behind that, and I don't have time to get into all of that tonight. But uh, Michael Heiser, Dr. Michael Heiser, uh, rest in peace, he died recently, um, has some excellent stuff on this. Check him out. Really good. He's got a bunch of stuff on, um, on YouTube as well. Uh, good stuff. Good stuff. Each of the plagues directly attacked one of the Egyptian gods and showed that Yahweh was more powerful, that Yahweh was the true God over these Egyptian gods. One of the most interesting of these plagues um, was the final one, and uh, it was attacking the Egyptian god, I'm going to say this wrong, forgive me, Kanum. Uh, Num, maybe? Did I hear that in the back? I don't know. Any Egyptologists in here? No? He was uh, Num, he, she, I don't, I don't know. He was the god of fertility and was the god that, according to the Egyptian religion, um, was worshipped as the creator of humans. Um, and he made humans out of a clay potter's wheel. This god is often depicted as a ram, uh, like a, a, a human with the head of a ram. So sacrificing a male lamb, a ram, to Yahweh 
would have been an incredible offense to the Egyptians. It would be similar to like if, uh, and this, this happened much later down the road in history, um, it'd, be, it'd be like uh, someone sacrificing a pig on uh, a Jewish altar. <laughs> if you don't know, Jews are, you know, pigs are unclean. Um, this was incredibly offensive to Egypt. And the fact that God uses this sacrifice as a way to show his power further judges and disproves the gods of Egypt. So God, in Passover, judged the Egyptians for their sin and idolatry. He also judges the Egyptian gods and shows them powerless. God would also have judged Israel for their sin. But the Passover lamb is sacrificed in their place. And going back to Jesus, if he is our Passover lamb, he has, in a way, instituted a new Passover. Now, instead of freeing us from Egypt, Jesus is freeing us from sin, death, and the devil. Do you know that Jesus actually died on Passover? There were multiple times uh, in the Gospels that, that um, the, 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 the people, the mob, tried to kill Jesus. It says they, like, wanted to kill him, but his time had not yet come. Jesus had picked a very specific day to die on. And he picked Passover because Jesus is our Passover lamb. Jesus walked into Jerusalem on Sunday before Passover. And this was the day that a lamb would be selected. The lamb would be selected and examined for five days leading up to Passover to make sure it was without spot or blemish. Jesus was then observed and tested for five days by religious leaders and was found to be without fault. He celebrated Passover dinner the night he was betrayed. And a lot, of, um, a lot of scholars kind of argue back and forth over, did he did he celebrate Passover on Passover or the day before? At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Um, but he celebrated Passover with his disciples before he died. And in, during that Passover dinner, he instituted communion. Communion is the fulfillment of Passover. He took one of the four cups of Passover and instituted it as the blood of the new covenant in his blood instead of in the lamb's blood. Matthew 26 says this. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples and Ted said, take and eat it. This is my body. Then he took the cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus instituted communion as the new Passover. And interesting, uh, they were supposed to eat the lamb, right? And in a way, we eat Christ's symbolic flesh in the, the, the bread of communion. None of the Passover lambs were to be, uh, bones were to be broken, and none of Jesus' bones were broken. Crucifixion is like one of the most brutal ways humans have ever come up with killing other humans. Um, they actually usually end up dying of suffocation because in order to breathe, they have to like push up 
off the nail in their feet um, to breathe because when they're when they're when they're kind of down, um, their shoulders are out of place and they cannot physically breathe. And so they would often die of suffocation after just exhaustion. They would last days up there in humiliation. But Romans, especially in Judea, uh, would break the legs of crucifixion victims to make them suffocate faster. But... So, so the Roman guards went up and broke the legs of the two people getting crucified on either side of Jesus. And when they came to Jesus, he was already dead, probably because of the brutal beating <laughs> that ensued beforehand. He had already died. And because of that, none of his bones were broken. Jesus is our Passover lamb. Praise team, come to the stage. Praise team. So why did Jesus have to die? Why did we need a Passover in the first place? Why do we need a Passover lamb? Why did we need a Passover lamb? We, like, we aren't enslaved in some foreign country, right? Is, is anyone in here enslaved in some foreign country? Or in America? That might be good to know. We'll, we'll get you out, bro. <laughs> All right, no one in here is, in, is, is physically enslaved. But Jesus in John 8 says, Truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. We may not be enslaved to a foreign people, but we are enslaved to sin. We have given ourselves over to it. Have, have, have any of you ever committed a sin? The, I guess a better question is, has any of you not committed a sin? I'd be concerned if, if you said so. Of course you have. Everyone, everyone occasionally does things that even they know are bad. If you think you never sin, you are deceiving yourself. Well, maybe you say, I don't sin that often. I don't re do really bad things. This is what I said. Like, <laughs> I got in trouble once because um, I came home 15 minutes late after curfew. And I was like so mad at my parents because they had like grounded me for being 15 minutes late. Uh, or maybe it was like an hour. I can't remember. I, w I was late for curfew, okay? <laughs> it was probably an hour, let's be honest. <laughs> 15 minutes is maybe a little over the top. But I was so mad. I was like, mom and dad, I don't, I don't go to parties. I don't get drunk. I don't do drugs. I'm not like stealing from people. I'm a good kid. And that's how I viewed myself, that I was just this good kid that didn't need God's help. Maybe you say, I don't sin that often. I don't do really bad things. I've never killed someone. I've never robbed a bank, except in a video game maybe, uh, or committed mass genocide. Surely God is not that upset with that lie I told last week. Surely God isn't heartbroken over the fact that I got wasted last weekend. Surely God doesn't care that I sleep with my significant other outside of marriage. But Jesus said, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. And yes, God's heart breaks when we sin. We have a saying that uh, in Kyle that when you break a law, you break a heart. The law feels disconnected. It feels governmental, right? But it is, it is not just a law you're breaking when you do something that 
that uh, God, God says not to. It is a heart that you are breaking. You are breaking God's heart. Sin at its essence is selfishness. It is making yourself God and determining what is right and wrong for yourself. That's what I did. That's what I did in high school. I decided that my idea of what was good was better than God's idea. Or it is giving someone or something the authority that God should have in your life. What in your life guides you to make the decisions you make? Is it greed? Is it some other religious system outside of God? Is it a way of thinking that doesn't come from God himself? (laughs) Here's a test. If you've ever stood in condemnation over something God has done or God has said, you have made yourself God. That's idolatry. You have worshipped yourself. We need a Passover lamb because the entire world has gone astray. And you are no different. We all need Jesus' blood to be painted on the doorposts of our hearts because we all have gone astray. And there's not one of us that lives up to God's perfect standard. So yes, we, are, we were all at some point enslaved to sin. And maybe you still are. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross to be in right relationship with God. Jesus' death and resurrection are the sacrifice we need. A once-for-all sacrifice for the sake of the whole world. The priests had to stand in that sanctuary and sacrifice lambs and goats and bulls every day. <laughs> that was their job. Was There was constant, a constant flow of blood out of the sanctuary because of the sins of one nation. Just to cover the sins of one nation. But by the once-for-all death of the perfect Son of God, our sins are blotted out for eternity. We are passed over. Because Jesus died, we are forgiven and freed from slavery. You can be freed from that sin you are enslaved to. Just as the Jews were freed from slavery in Egypt because God bought them with the blood of a lamb, so we have been purchased and freed from slavery. This time, not to human masters in Egypt, but to sin, death, and the devil. We are no longer under their control. So what are you dealing with? In what ways are you still enslaved to sinful habits? I want to ask you to pray tonight for God to free you from those things. Now is your opportunity also. If you have never trusted Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord, if you have never repented of your sins and recognized Jesus as the Lord of your life, tonight is that night. If that is you, I urge you to pray now. Recognize the sin in your life. If you're not sure what that is, ask the Lord. Say, Jesus, what what have I done recently? that has broken your heart. And I can guarantee you something is going to come to mind. Don't just push that away as like your own thoughts. That is the Lord speaking to you. Now is your opportunity. Repent of those things. Turn your life to Jesus. 
and let God free you from that bondage. As the worship team leads this next song, I want you to feel free to get out of your chair, to move around the room, to go to your small group leader or someone you trust and have them pray for you. Get right with God tonight. Lord Jesus, thank you, God, that you, you have made a way for us. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't see our sin and turn a blind eye, God, but you, in your compassion, in your kindness, you saw our desperate situation, Lord, that we are doomed without you. to be sacrificed in our place. You died the death we deserved. Thank you, Lord, for that. We love you, Lord. We worship you in this time. For more information, please visit xaunc.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash xaunc. Our Instagram handle is at xaunc. And you can find all of our content on our YouTube channel by searching for Chi Alpha UNC. Until next time, may the Lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering.